Baker. Puts it up. You're listening to the Culture State Podcast. Get ready. Woo! If you look at how these TV shows nowadays film, they basically just film completely against like a gyroscope sort of green screen technology that allows you to to swap in anything you want. Um, and so I would love to see some sort of situation where we're able to lure more business and create more jobs and and, and bring the film industry back here to North Carolina. But, it, but it's been tough. We were thriving for a long period of time. Hey, it's the Culture State Podcast. We are back for yet another episode. Thank you guys so much for rocking with us. I'm Chris Lee. That's my man DC over there on the ones and twos. Chris, you big movie guy? I am not. You're not? I am not. This I, is where you and I actually have a bit of difference. Yeah, we, we differ a little bit. I mean, you know, there are movies that I enjoy watching, but in, in general, if people are like, hey, have you seen such and such? Have you seen this? Have you seen that? Most of the time, the answer will be, and I can guarantee you, no, I have not seen that. Well, because, that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> that's unfortunate. I mean, I am a big moviegoer. I'm a big fan of just movie theaters in general. I just love the thrill of going to a theater and just hearing the the sound like just echoing around you like when watching a movie. It's so hard for me to watch stuff at home, mm-hmm. even though I do love stuff that does appear on the small screen. But today we're going to be joined by a man, Sean O'Connell. Okay. If you don't know who Sean O'Connell is, he works for a website called Cinema Blend. Now, cinemablend.com is basically... If you were to go to ESPN.com to look up your sports news, Cinema Blend is the place to go to for anything film and television related. Okay. That's the place to go to. And Sean O'Connell, he's the managing director. He's basically like what Jeremy Schapp or Bob Lee is to ESPN. He's the guy who dives deep into the stories, but he also gives a lot of movie reviews. He's been all over the place, like Washington Post. He's been on national radio shows talking about the so film industry. We're talking to a legend, basically. Essentially, a living yeah. legend in that okay. sense. And he, guess what? He's based right here in North Carolina. Love it. He's like me. He's a transplant to the state who's adopted this state as its favorite. Okay? And he's adopted it as home. And he's adopted sports teams here in North Carolina. We're going to talk to him about the film industry here in North Carolina. Did you know, Chris, how many major films have been made here in North Carolina? Um, you or know, even TV shows. I, I've heard of some that have. I, I knew that One Tree Hill was it Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek um, was back in the day. Um, you know, and, and there's you know others, but you know I can't name a bunch off my hand. But I knew that at one point North Carolina was was about to become a hotbed for sure. Wilmington actually was a big place. Eastbound and Down from HBO. Okay. Danny McBride. Okay. Who went to Winston Salem School of the Arts. Okay. Filmed it right in Wilmington. You also look Iron Man 3, part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the most successful movie franchise that's still ongoing today, filmed in Wilmington. Really? Yeah. Filmed wow. it, filmed right down there in Wilmington. And it's amazing how, like you said, North Carolina was growing, and Sean's going to talk to us about this, about how the film industry was supposed to be that big budding place here in North Carolina. It was the go-to place, or it was going to be, and unfortunately, some things with legislation and tax breaks nah. and all that kind of stuff, the the politics got in the way, nah. which is really unfortunate because nah. there is so much there's so much entertainment talent. Or, there's so much talent in the entertainment world, whether it's music, film, radio, sports. There's so much talent here in North Carolina, and it is really unfortunate that it's not 
the go-to place. And it's, it's money, too. Like, you know, yeah. of course, like, you know, I, I don't I never understood that when that did happen. Uh, because you have these mo- these movies come with millions and millions of dollars of budgets, mm-hmm. and part of those budgets would be hotels, homes, you know, food, you know, parts, you know, hiring people, jobs, and all that, and that's money that's going to be here in North Carolina. Why wouldn't you want to have that here in the area yeah. to stimulate the local economy, um, to have people come here because they know they'll have job opportunities? That only helps to add and grow uh, to, to you know, the economy. If more people come here, that means more businesses have to uh, you know, come along with it because more people are going to need to go, go get food. More people are going to need to have their hair cut. More people are going to have to uh, go shopping for clothes, and that just only makes the economy better. Sometimes I just don't know if the folks in Raleigh know what they're doing sometimes. But that's another podcast. That, that is a whole other podcast. That probably won't be on the Culture State podcast. Definitely not. But we're going to stick to uh, what we're going to stick to. But, you know, I just want to editorialize just a little bit yeah. and just put that out there. Even the live theater industry here in North Carolina is so awesome. And by live theater, I mean you look at here in the Triangle area, you look at the yeah. at the DPAC, the Durham Performing Arts Center. Mm-hmm. There are tons of comedy clubs around this area. Good Nights has had some of the biggest names in stand-up comedy right here in Raleigh coming through its doors. You have, well, it's interesting, it's Raleigh Improv that's located in Cary, yet doesn't do improv, uh, located in this area that brings in that brings in some big names Wait, as well. Raleigh Improv yeah. is in Cary. And they do stand-up. And, and they don't do improv. Yes. What a, wow. I, I, do, wow. I, I do improv. I'm an improviser. You've they, done improv? Oh, I've been doing it for over five years, Chris. Like still, like improv comedy? Well, obviously no pan, you know, pandemic. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, Nick's yeah. on that for sure. But, but yeah, I've I've performed here in Raleigh. I've done Durham, Chapel Hill. I've Unfortunately, the pandemic shut down a show that we had in Greensboro, but I've done Charlotte. You think they'll welcome me into the fold? Because I did improv back in high school for my theater troupe at, at my high school, and I would love to do it again. Culture State Duo on hey, an improv stage. We got we to gotta put that together. It's going to happen, folks. All right, so, folks, you're listening now. You heard it first. It was created right here in mm-hmm. this moment, the Culture State duo of Show Smooth in D.C. We're going to be out there on the improv <laughs> stage, and we're going to be out there doing what we do best. That's making things up on the spot. Literally what we're doing right now is literally what I did in a wrestling ring. Like, you know, in wrestling, wrestling is improv. Yeah, um, honestly, because I, I look at wrestling as live theater. By the way, yeah, it is. Um, it, you know, basically, it's like you know where you're going, and then you just kind you just get there when you go out. But when you talked about the local live theater, um, you know, scene, um, you know, in a way, my wife comes from that as well because you know she's from Bermuda, moved to North Carolina to go to the School of the Arts in Winston Salem, and um, you know she does dance, and she's danced all over this place, and that's one of the you know appeals of moving to Raleigh for both of us because. Uh, there's more opportunities in the dance world for her out here, uh, as well as it was a better media opportunity for me here as well. So, you know, hey, you know, uh, I, I love that world. Uh, I'm not as into movies, but I'm excited to talk to Sean O'Connell to hear what he's got to say about everything. We're also going to hear about his fandom for LaMelo Ball hey. and the Charlotte Hornets. Hey. Tearing it up right now. He is. All right, let's go to our man, Sean O'Connell. Right now, we're being joined by my man, Sean O'Connell from Cinema Blend. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, Sean, you have a new book coming out. Now, depending on when people are listening to this, the book may already be out. 
called uh, Release the Snyder Cut. I want to see your perspective of this story. For, for Chris, who's not a big movie guy like me, the Snyder Cut is actually supposed to be Zack Snyder's, his version of the Justice League movie that came out a few years ago. Okay. Unfortunately, Sean may actually be able to elaborate more. He was not able to actually complete the movie. I believe it's because of a family issue. Correct, Sean? Yes. His, uh, he had a daughter who died by suicide uh, back in 2017 when he was in the, the midst of post-production. He'd already filmed most of it. Um, and he thought he might be able to continue working on the movie as a way to sort of distract himself emotionally, but it just became too much, and he had to go be with his family. All right, so mm. Sean wrote a book, but there was a big movement about release the Snyder Cut, that version of the movie, because there's a lot of things changed about the movie that weren't really what Zack Snyder had planned. So HBO actually just recently announced the release date for the Snyder Cut, which is going to be March 18th. So this actually coincides with your book, Sean. How did this book come about, and and what was the driving force behind this release, the Snyder Cut movement? Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, literally, it was just that this cut of Justice League, this version of Justice League that Zack Snyder's fans wanted to see, became sort of a holy grail of, of comic book movies. You know, the people, when the theatrical version came out, it turns out that the replacement director, who ended up... It was Joss Whedon who had directed two Avengers movies for Marvel. Yeah. It was really strange to have him come over and finish, like, a highly anticipated DC movie. you got to remember, like, from a DC Comics perspective, this is the first time that those fans were getting to see characters like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, The Flash all together on the big screen. So they were chomping at the bit to see this movie. Like, even if you're not a comic book movie fan, like, just think about any movie that you're, like, you've circled the calendar, you can't wait to see this happen... And here the original director has to walk away due to a family tragedy and they hire the rival director's main replacement. And he comes in and delivers a version that by all standards just doesn't work. Like it's a disaster. You yeah, know, it was like, not very the good. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. It was not very good. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> so the minute you see it, you start to think like, well, what happened to the other version? Like where's because the Zack Snyder's version had trailers and TV spots already that showed a lot of footage that mm -hmm. when you watched the theatrical cut, you were like, Where'd all that stuff go? So, you know, there was a huge myth that kind of built up over the course of time of like, where is the Snyder Cut of Justice League? And then the fans sort of motivated into this uh, social media driven movement uh, where they used the hashtag release the Snyder Cut. And I got interested in it because we cover film on a daily basis for Cinema Blend. And I always thought everything around the movie was really fascinating. But as I stopped to get to know the people, who were in the movement and, and start to ask them like, why are you guys doing this? Like, how come, please explain to me the roots of your fandom. And it became so much about a love of DC comics, a love of Zack Snyder's work, uh, a true desire to protect artistic integrity. And then also because Zack's daughter Autumn had died by suicide, the release of Snyder Cut movement also adapted um, everything that they did in terms of marketing and, and raising awareness. They also raised funds for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, the AFSP, awesome. which is a cause that was really close to the hearts of, of uh, Zack Snyder and his wife, Debbie, who's a producer. And to date, guys, those people in the Release of Snyder Cut movement have raised $500,000 um, for suicide prevention. That's awesome. So Zack has come out and he says, you know, multiple times, hey, it's not about a movie anymore. Like everything that those people are doing, that my fans are doing, is saving lives it's it's keeping people on the phone banks you know at afsp to be there when someone who needs help reaches out 
Um, it's paying for, for therapists. It's paying for volunteers. It's, it's that to me was an emotional component that I just couldn't shake. And I had to start telling that story. That's amazing. Um, I, I want to know about, you know, just being able to just be this person that you're the go-to person that a lot of people have when they want to know about a movie and know like, you know, what your opinion is on this. Do you ever sit back and, and think about like, man, like people really count on me and my analysis of what's happening in, in these movies. And how did you get uh, started at in the beginning? Is this even what you ever wanted to do when you grew up? No, I mean, I never really thought that it was like you can make a career on. And truthfully, I'm playing with house money. Like the fact that I've made it this far talking about movies and it's still been a career is ridiculous yeah. to me. Um, So I was always just a film buff, like even as a kid, you know, going all the way back to, to a young kid. I guess I love I love stories and I love storytelling. I was a voracious reader and I watched everything. You know, we had all of our cable channels growing up and. I, I was in the video store, you know, in our in our small town three times a week, just grabbing anything and everything. But what I didn't realize was, you know, in doing all of that, I was I was building up this this knowledge, this base of knowledge that I could go back and refer to later on when I started to take actual communications classes and start to figure out how to analyze media. And, you know, so that opened up doors. But the fact that, you know, if anybody and you're right, I, I do like my wife says she loves bringing me to parties because. I'm an easy conversation starter, you know, like you could just sort of throw me out there and people can ask me questions like a, you know, like a, like a, a, a toy, you know, entertain, entertain the people. Um, but like you should find a critic. I, I always say you find a critic who you agree with on a regular basis. Like just because I like something doesn't mean it's going to gel with whatever you like, you mm. know, find someone whose tastes you kind of align with, and then they can be a pretty good gauge because there's plenty of people who will tell me like, Oh, my favorite movie is fill in the blank. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, Ooh, that movie's terrible. But if you like it, <laughs> if you like it, that's your thing, you know, have at it. And so um, all I can do is, and all any critic could do is, you know, stay as, as true to their opinion as possible and, uh, and hope to inform certain people. The thing is, nowadays, there's so many choices right. in terms of streaming. And, you know, it used to be like, according to the traditional model, you'd get two or three movies that got released a week. And now it's overwhelming. So you kind of have to... I think the voice of a critic or the role of a critic can be even more important now just to tell you what to spend your time on. How far in advance do you get a chance to see these movies? Because, you know, by the time this is out, maybe this movie will be out. But there is a movie I am interested in because my favorite movie ever came out in 1988. And the sequel finally is coming out in 2021. Coming oh, to America. Oh, oh yes. nice. <laughs> so I'm, okay. wo I'm wondering, as we're recording this, and I guess yes. this will probably, by the time this podcast is out, I think this movie, this second movie should be out. Have you already seen an advanced version of that movie yet? I have not, but I know I'm going to get to see it soon. Because normally what happens is you see it the week that it comes out. Okay, normally on like a that. Monday or a Tuesday. Okay, okay. Which gives you enough time to write your review and have it ready for release date. However, I also do a lot of what are called press junkets which is when you get to interview the people who are associated with it. And in fact, I, I do a podcast over on Cinema Blend um, called Real Blend. And a lot of times we get to interview the talent or specifically the directors. We like to get directors on because they're really good in long form. Uh, and so if you're doing the junket, there's a good chance you might get to see the movie like two weeks or so in advance. So that's usually about as early as the studios will start to, to show it. Um, this has changed a lot in times of COVID because... So many more things like coming to America was always supposed to go or part two was always supposed to go to theaters. Mm -hmm. And the longer it got delayed, the longer I think it was supposed to come out in December of 2020, if I remember right. 
um, it was a Paramount movie and Paramount just had to essentially sell it to Amazon because they were just losing money, not being able to put it in theaters. Wow. So now it's coming to Amazon prime. So you'll be able to see it. And, uh, the streamers usually hold it for a little bit closer. Um, but, but they do show it in advance and I am, I'm chomping at the bit like that. That trailer looked really funny. Yeah. It, it, it looked like Eddie and Arsenio are right back into it. And the director, Craig Brewer, who did uh, Hustle and Flow, he's just a fan of the franchise. You know, if you're going to bring back one of those properties, you need to get a director who just loves the original material and knows what's funny about it. And so I, I hope, like you, that, that they that they hit the nail on the head. You being now based in in Charlotte and here in North Carolina, yes. we actually have a pretty, pretty big history, or at least I know recently when it comes to the film industry. A lot of films were done out in Wilmington, or at least parts of films and shows. I know... Mm-hmm. I, you're a big comic book movie fan, Sean. As am I. Iron Man three filmed a lot out in Wilmington. Really? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely, Chris. Yeah, a lot was it filmed in Wilmington. Another sh- uh, short series, like mini series show, Swamp Thing, was okay. filmed out in Wilmington as well. John, what about the the film industry here in North Carolina? Have you been able to to witness and maybe even go on set to possibly visit here in North Carolina? Yeah, a lot of it. Um, and you're right. Like for a long period of time, we were one of the hotbeds of places for, and and we were really poised to turn a major corner and it's heartbreaking for me to even think about what went wrong. Um, Because you're right. Iron Man three filmed there. Uh, Marvel studios was viewing uh, our area as a place to, uh, to maybe put down some roots. The hunger games uh, filmed throughout uh, North Carolina as well as the first movie did. And they invested in a green screen facility here in Charlotte at the time to film most of the indoor stuff. And then they went out into the Asheville area to get a lot of the wooded stuff for Hunger Games. The um, James Wan shot The Conjuring in Wilmington. There was always a lot of TV, obviously Dawson's Creek. One you know, Tree dates Hill. Back to, yeah, One Tree Hill. Uh, yeah. All of the Nicholas Spark stuff. So what happens with the, with the film industry is they tend to go wherever the tax breaks are the best. And I've been down here north of 20 years and have watched it sort of rotate back and forth where they would go from us to South Carolina, to Georgia, to Louisiana. Those are the four places where they would sort of bounce back and forth and and try to get whatever the best deal was possible. Because in this area, you could kind of replicate almost any sort of environment that you need. You could get a big city atmosphere if you need it. You can get a coastal area. You can get a, a, a wooded area, depending on what type of story you were trying to tell. There were rumors, only rumors, um, that, Georgia kind of invested in some political folks in North Carolina um, in order to have them remove the incentives uh, that benefited film companies Hmm. so that more business would go to Georgia and Georgia could build what has now become sort of the crown jewel of the Southeast, which is that Pinewood Studios that they have outside of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Wow. And and because that now exists and it's beautiful, Marvel now has set up shop in in Pinewood. Uh, they're filming the third Spider-Man there right now. But they've filmed uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy film. Black Panther was filmed down in Atlanta. I, I think that that we could have had that. Like there was a time oh, when man. North Carolina was really poised mm-hmm. to have that, and our politicians decided that they didn't necessarily want Hollywood money, <laughs> and they got rid of the film and tax incentives. Oh my God! Georgia drastically reduced, you know, the the tax incentives and and lured all that business and built Pinewood. And now I, but now you know you hear like in Charlotte here, there's a property called uh, East. It was called Eastland Mall. It's a pretty big piece of property, and they frequently talk about building up another studio that could lure some type of maybe TV production 
maybe small film. It's got to be a lot of green screen work so that, you know, productions can go indoors and shoot whatever they want. If you look at how these TV shows nowadays film, they basically just film completely against like a gyroscope sort of green screen technology that allows you to to swap in anything you want. Um, and so I would love to see some sort of situation where we're able to lure more business and create more jobs and and bring the film industry back here to North Carolina. But it, but it's been tough. We were thriving for a long period of time. And uh, and I mean, now it, it's gone. And it only makes sense because you have, you know, the School of the Arts right there in Winston-Salem. And there's yep. all kinds of people who are future directors, producers. I mean, they're they're learning right there. Um, you know, I think even Pam Greer went to that school. There's a few other big names that went to that school um, who, you know, always like, you know, North Carolina is their base. It only makes sense. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll get it together at some point. I don't I don't want to be Danny behind. McBride, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green are also two graduates of that school. Mm-hmm. And yeah. David Gordon Green, re, he filmed the Halloween reboot that just happened recently, about two years ago. Oh, cool. He did film in Charleston. Um, those graduates, they, they do try to bring business back to this area as much as possible. And there's plenty of talent, like below the line talent and, uh, you know, people who are ready to, like you said, Swamp Thing, that's another example of people mm-hmm. who they're ready to work and, and they do, they travel to wherever the work is. But if we can bring the work back to North Carolina, uh, it would be, it'd be amazing because there's a ton of gifted people here. Now you say you've been here in North Carolina of you know, upwards of you know 20 plus years. What is it about North Carolina that has stood out to you? I, my understanding you are a big unc fan now oh <laughs> oh uh yes i do cheer for the for the tar heels and i have a high schooler who's looking at chapel hill so that's been even more interesting um yeah so when i moved down here i moved down here from the dc area but i'm from new york originally like way back in the day and i wanted to root for a team someone told me when i first moved down here they gave me this advice. They said, "Pick an ACC basketball team yep. and, and an SEC football team, oh. and you'll be and you'll be okay." And I oh. said, "All right, that makes sense." Um, because again, DC and New York, both those areas I come from, they are not huge college basketball uh, locations, right. so you didn't necessarily. So I was looking at the landscape and trying to figure out like who to pick, and I said, uh, "The Tar Heels at the time looked to me like the New York Yankees. Like everybody cheers for them." You know, everyone wears their gear. And I said, I'm not going to do that. Like, even when I was in New York as a kid, I cheered for the Mets and I cheered for the Jets because it was such a Yankees um, Giants town. Sure. And I was like, well, I'm going to. I'm going the Islanders. The yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So uh, I said, all right, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to. Well, I couldn't pick. I couldn't pick Duke. You know, no one's going to pick Duke. Um, but oh, I picked NC State. Chris. <laughs> you just upset Chris for saying no Duke. <laughs> I hold, picked hold NC we're, State. We're going to circle back around there, but yeah, you picked NC fine. State. Okay. So yeah, you picked, <laughs> NC, I picked State. NC State. Yeah, I said, I'm going to cheer for the Wolfpack. And this was the Herb Sendek uh, era. Okay. And, like, in and around that era, the Wolfpack were just not – they were so bad. They were so bad, they were, like, unwatchable. Um, it became really hard to maintain that – like, after Herb left kind of thing, too. And so finally I had to just give in and I had to join the dark side and I had to say, you know what, forget it. I'm going to go over to the Tar Heels and I haven't regretted it since they've been entertaining to watch. Uh, and I'll see if my kid can get in. We'll see. Okay. So what's the anti Duke thing? I just want to know. Oh, just Duke to me feels like, (laughs) and again, this is coming from New York and I'm from New York, but I'm not a New Yorker, right? Like I don't, I, I fit much better here than I do up there. And that's part of the reason like when we moved down here, 
we were here for a year and I plugged into everything about North Carolina, the, 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 the weather, the pace, um, you know, just the style of, of living. It's, this is me. And New York is the antithesis of that. And Duke to me just seems like New York, New Jersey South, you know, like <laughs> I think everyone who kind of follows that and maybe I'm wrong, uh, is like from that area. And it doesn't feel like a Southern school to me. It just feels like something that got dropped here for, um, onto the tobacco road for competitive reasons. And it listens, it's an amazing rivalry, one of the best ever. And, you know, Duke Carolina, that that's like a Super Bowl in our house. But um, yeah, I'll always cheer against Duke. Sorry, man. Sorry. No, it's, <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's, I just oh, good. I wanted to know. And you also have on your profile that you love the Carolina Panthers. So we we are on the same page when it comes to that. Yeah. Um. So with the draft coming up, I just want to know, yes. like, what do you think the Carolina Panthers? I have my own uh, thoughts on what the Carolina Panthers needs to do and the directions they need to go. But when you're looking at, you know, this past season, Matt Rule comes in and, you know, there are some bright spots, but then there's also some obvious holes. Uh, for me, where do you think the team needs to go? What direction do you think the team needs to go so they can get better in 2021? Teddy Bridgewater is not the answer. Um, and But I don't think they need to address quarterback in the draft. I mean, I'm currently, currently, and I don't know when this episode will air, but I am I am putting all my chips into the Deshaun Watson uh, acquisition, which I think if we're able to get him, I, you know, listen, I've even heard Matt Stafford. I would even probably take Matt Stafford. Um, but if we can address a quarterback position and get a veteran in there, I lost a lot of faith in Teddy over the past season. I really thought he could be the answer the way that he played uh, initially in Minnesota and then even as, as Breeze's backup down in, in New Orleans. And, man, just his his decision-making and his inability to sort of go down the field in key situations made me lose a lot of faith in him. And I think that we have enough pieces on the offensive side to be a competitive offense. And I think our defense is young and, and needs to get better. And I think that they did get better over the course of the season. Yeah. So I would love to see them address the quarterback need with a veteran because there's a bunch of them out there this season. And then in the draft, potentially go after, man, I think our safeties and corners still need help. Um, we get torched uh, by by skilled quarterbacks. And the NFC South is filled with skilled quarterbacks. So, um, yeah, I'd like to see us address our secondary. You know, um, I, I think, you know, I'm with you on the quarterback thing. I, I thought that uh, Teddy Bridgewater was always, anyway, just that person. Like, just get us to the next quarterback. Get us to our yeah. our future. You know, they only gave him a three-year contract, and there's an easy out after year two anyway. So I, I kind of figured that that's what he was going to be. But, yeah, if they can get in on any of the um, – any of the quarterbacks that are, you know, potentially going to be traded uh, for this offseason. I really think that when it comes down to – I hear what you're saying on the secondary. I actually like this secondary. I think the real problem is it's tough as fast as uh, these NFL wide receivers are, as smart as these quarterbacks are, um, you're going to get torched. I mean, we torch yeah. teams um, who had, you know, really good defenses at times. But when you don't have a defensive line – Mm. or a front seven that can get to the quarterback effectively, yeah. then yeah. you don't give those guys time in the back to, to cover. And I really think that we need one more really good defensive lineman and, uh, you know, up there in the middle. Um, and then I think we need – we haven't really replaced uh, Luke Keekley. It's hard to do that. Well, yeah. You can't replace Luke Keekley, no. really. But right. we don't have a good, you know, middle linebacker to really replace him uh, to – to really uh, quarterback that defense, and we need a we need a tight end. Um, our oh, tight ends yeah. are just yeah. non-existent. So, I'm, yeah, and Greg was such a safety blanket. 
you know, right. for so many years, you took them for granted, essentially. So now that you're here and, uh, you know, you're, you're basically a North Carolinian now. So we're just going to say that uh, you're adopted yeah. uh, into this area. I want to know as far as like um, where do you think is, is there a, a chance for, you know, sports and, and movies or, you know, cinema to blend here? And, and if so, oh, cinema blend. I didn't even mean to do that. Um, <laughs> is there is there a chance for it to, to, to come together and, and how can it come together uh, in certain ways in North Carolina just to uh, to enhance both industries? It's interesting because we look at the growth patterns of some of the cities from that perspective that we're trying to catch up with and you almost take the good with the bad. Uh, so the two would be D.C. and Atlanta, mm-hmm. you know, as our closest competitors. And you kind of want to grow out both of those areas without having them grow too fast you know or overwhelm each other sort of thing it's always going to take people who are just invested in the arts and sports Uh, and it feels like in charlotte in north carolina sports gets way more attention than the arts do unfortunately uh from my perspective unfortunately because this is a this is a very tried and true and competitive sports state without a doubt uh, with the Panthers, with the Hornets, with all of the college teams. And, and it's not just college teams in the state. It's people who are fans of college teams throughout the Southeast. I wish we had as dedicated of an audience to people who want to see the arts grow on this side because you see, and it's not just film uh, or television, but it's, you know, the local symphonies. It's the the schools of the arts. You can go down into Georgia. We go to Savannah frequently because of the work that's being done down there by the uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. Like They've done an amazing job of establishing themselves as a focal point for arts growth and distribution uh, out through Georgia. And that, you know, their partnership has also helped the, the arts thrive in Atlanta, which is also Atlanta is a weird sports town. You know, like they've got plenty of sports in that area, but their fan <laughs> yeah. base seems really fickle. They don't care. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> no, they're hot. They're extremely hot and cold. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say, how can they work in tandem with each other? It, it takes people like, you know, David Tepper, the Panthers owner, who clearly has a lot of money to, to pour some of his initiatives back into the community and especially the arts in the community, mm-hmm. because there's talent everywhere. Um, but it needs, it needs support and it needs a foundation and on which to grow and I think sports, because of the way that they generate so much revenue for, uh, for for TV side, for radio side, for everything that comes with sports, I wish that, that the arts had more of a, a structure in place that would allow them to grow out more of the talent and get in front of more people's eyes. We'll close on this. I know you're a big Hornets fan. How excited are you about LaMelo Ball? God, I love the Hornets. <laughs> so, I, I love the Hornets. And this team, uh, to me, is one of the most exciting teams that we've had in in years upon years yes. they're fun uh, yes. which makes which makes them so frustrating when they don't live up to the potential that i know i see in them we we watch every minute of every hornets game in this house my two sons are nba fanatics right and they love well they love Lamelo. they are so much fun but then like i think that they can match up with almost any team in the east maybe not philly uh so when they let it down against a team like Orlando, who I think that they're better than, or the Bulls, who I think that they're better than. Um, it's disheartening, and it makes me wonder about Borrego as a coach, whether he's getting the best out of them and his rotations. So, um, yeah, I'm, listen, I'm all in on this Hornets roster. And I, I love Kemba. I love Kemba. I'll always love Kemba. 
but the Kemba and the Kembets, you know, formula that they <laughs> relied on for too many years had to change yeah. and it was going to hurt. Yeah. Um, but I think we're in, I honestly think as a team, we're in a better position right now. We have more people who, when they have the ball in their hand, you know, whether it's Gordon Hayward or, or Miles or PJ or Terry Rozier, like these are all good players now who wouldn't get the ball at, in the end of a game because the Hornets used to be Kemba and isolate, you know, right. and, and that wasn't working. You know, I'm all in on Borrego. Uh, he comes from that Spurs coaching tree, and he's really done a good job of uh, using the Greensboro Swarm to um, develop players, I believe. And so I, I think it's going to take a little bit of time. I do think that the the Hornets are missing a, a really, really good big man. Um, you know, I think Cody Zeller is good for now, but um, there needs to be a huge upgrade there. And um, I would like to see, like, a superstar, uh, too. You know, maybe like a Bradley Bill, somebody that you can't oh. you, you do need somebody that you can put in isolation at the right moments of the game. I think, yes, uh, you don't need to rely on that. I think that's what you know, they relied on that too much with Kemba. So you're absolutely right with that. But, uh, you know, I do think there are a few pieces away from being like top four in the East, I think. We play a fun drinking game in the house, and you guys might want to start playing this later on. Yes, but it's gonna damage your. It'll damage your liver. Uh, oh God! <laughs> take a drink every time uh, a, a beautiful pass from Lamelo goes off Biz's hands and out of bounds. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> you Biz had he had never has any clue that a that a beautiful dish pass is coming your way. Like, I don't know how many games he has to play before people realize, like, this, the pass is going to come to you, you know? Well, Lamelo's driving, but he's going to dish to you. When the pandemic is over, like... I would love to play this game with you. <laughs> it's It's been a lot of fun. It's frustrating, but it's fun. Like, Biz, Biz looks like us on the couch looking at Lamelo, like, look at what he's doing. But I'm like, Biz, you're in the game. <laughs> you know, you're about to get a pass, dude, and an easy layup. Please stay focused. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, it, it, first off, who's the uh, who's the person in uh, in movies or in cinema that reminds you of Bismack? Oh. <laughs> uh, let me think. Who's the, who's the Bismack in Hollywood? Um, I'm gonna say Rob Schneider. Oh, uh, for this reason. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. Rob Schneider has enough talent to get into the industry. Um, but he is on Adam Sandler's coattails, right? He's just riding along. You wouldn't ever look at Rob Snyder and be like, let's build a, let's build a movie franchise around Rob Snyder. Right. But when he shows up in a movie, you're like, oh yeah, that's right. Like he's friends with Sandler. I understand why he's in this movie. Um, that's kind of like biz to me. Like biz has talent, enough talent to get into the league for sure. I understand that. But like when he comes onto the court, I'm not like, oh, things are going to get much better now. Uh, <laughs> same with Snyder. If Snyder's in a scene, I'm not looking at him like, all right, here comes the funny. I think like, all right, let's just get through this next scene to the next funny part. So, All right, so uh, you're going to make your ESPN debut at some point as well, and you're going to be uh, Cinema Blend and ESPN. You're, you're killing this right now. This is awesome. <laughs> I feel terrible. <laughs> I feel terrible. I'm sure he's a nice guy. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us on the Coach's Tape Podcast. This has been amazing. Anytime, guys. I really appreciate it. Definitely learned a lot from Sean, and I, he's somebody I'm, I think I'm going to go ahead and start following because yeah. uh, he's really cool about everything. It makes me want to go, you know, what see what he's saying about movies and go watch those movies. Yeah, for sure. And and that's a lot for me to say that. 
<laughs> As you should. And he talked about his book, Release the Snyder Cut. That's going to be coming out of here soon on HBO. And I know I'm going to be watching that because I'm a big comic book nerd. And you should watch those things too, Chris. But nevertheless, mm. I did not know your favorite movie was coming to America. Yeah, man. I'm excited about it. Yeah, it's a the, classic. I'm excited about the, uh, the, the, the sequel. It's been long enough. Like It's like 30 years, 33 years later. Yeah. Sheesh. <laughs> it's like a, it's a whole lifetime. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. I, there are people going to watch that movie who weren't born when that first movie came out. I mean, yeah. We were born, but we were all, what, two. two years? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we were two years old. It, that was one of those movies. It was just like it was playing in the house all the time growing up. Yeah. And um, I think maybe around eight or nine when I started understanding what was happening, I was like, this is pretty funny. Yeah. And <laughs> it just got funnier and funnier over time. And I think that's why it just I just stuck to it to me. Um, I don't know. I just I, I like that era of comedy. Um, so I don't know if people will bring that type of stuff back. I think I like it. Eddie Murphy's a. Eddie Murphy's just a, an OG when it comes to the comedy world. There's another good movie from from that same year, 88. I don't know if you've seen this. I'm going to get you, sucker. Can't say I know it. Starring Keenan Ivory Wayans. Really? You should watch that. that okay. Is, that, that movie is hilarious. Like, when I tell you, like, that era of comedy, uh, especially, like, black comedy, 87 to about 92, and even though I was too young and I probably shouldn't even have been watching that stuff, my parents <laughs> didn't let me watch that stuff until later. But going back, because my parents liked it so much, I wanted to see it. And it was like, yo, that is funny. So I think yeah. I stuck to that because I wasn't able to watch it at a certain point. So It's it's fun when you're able to pass down passions for movies or things that you enjoy from you know one generation to the next. I know my, my dad was a huge Star Wars fan. Mm. And... I remember watching as a kid, even like eight, nine years old, popping in those old VHS tapes and just watching Star Wars all the time as a kid, and it fell in love with it. So it is kind of neat that you can you can pass that stuff down from one generation to the next. My grandfather was a huge John Wayne fan, so he always had John Wayne westerns on. It's a testament to how good those are because yeah. they're still good, even though you've watched it so many times, you still laugh. And even someone that's young now can watch that and still find it funny. And we'll be even better if we can get the movie industry to come back to North Carolina and some classics get made here. <sighs> they, they need to book us as extras. Turn Raleigh to Rollywood for real. I would love to see that. We also need a thick five-star rating. Yeah, Wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, whatever it is, give us those five stars and we'll give you all kinds of love. If you see me on the street, I'm telling you, when COVID is over, I'm giving you a hug. Mm-hmm. When COVID is over, though. And you got to show me if you got a vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> and show us your five-star review. It shows the five-star review. It's a three-step process. <laughs> but we're going to get there, folks. We're going to get there. You can still get your hug, though. It's just not as free as it used to be. Thank you for listening to Culture State. <laughs> the Culture State Podcast, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network, with new shows coming out every Wednesday. Download and subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts, including the WREL Sports Fan app.